one of our favorite things to do in this podcast is to not just talk about an individual video game or movie. If we can, we try to talk about the sequels to create this complete experience because sometimes maybe you played the first game but not the sequels or you watched the first two movies but you didn't complete a trilogy. And recently, we've been doing that with Terminator where we recently covered Genesis, but last year we did uh, something a little bit differently. In October, we talked about Silent Hill 2 for the PlayStation 2. That's uh, one of many people's favorite horror games of all time, uh, video games of all time in general, not just for the PlayStation 2. And there was that lingering topic that we talked about Resident Evil 2 and 3, so it felt weird that we talked about Silent Hill 2 and not 1, and that's going to be happening right here, right now, on another exciting episode of A Cast of the Past with a brand new episode coming at you each and every Sunday with yours truly from Puerto Rico. My name is Juan Villas. Joining me from Boston, Massachusetts, we have the man of the hour because every time people talk about Silent Hill, he gets a little bit tingly, so Mr. McNulty... <laughs> I mean, it's, it's a good kind of tingly. Accurate. Uh, how excited are you to finally, it's like the, the two games that I feel like you need to have, like after this, the podcast can close off, right? Yeah, pretty much. Some of the, the must plays on my list, at least in the survival horror reg, uh, you know, area, we've, we've now finally covered. So last year we did Silent Hill 2. And I figured it made sense to go back and do Silent Hill 1. We also watched the movie last year, so certainly you guys can get a better understanding of what the movie was trying to do and where they might have messed up in so many different ways when you actually have now seen what the original game is like. Yeah, so for those that haven't checked it out, uh, as Ryan mentioned, we have both the movie episode and Silent Hill 2 episode available uh, on the archives, and I think it's going to be very interesting to see this happen. And now Keith, uh, Keith Posha from London, Ontario. Uh, excuse the, me, it's Keith Hamilton. Keith Hamilton, from I, London, I changed Ontario. it again. Man, it's, it's a little while ago, it's a little while ago, but <laughs> um, as the resident Resident Evil fan of the, the podcast. resident resident. Oh, there we go. Uh, how excited were you to go back to this one? Because last year, you were pretty surprised with Silent Hill 2, right? Yeah, that game took me really off guard. It uh, it brings me back to when we first did Resident Evil 2 on the podcast, and Ryan had mentioned that the Resident Evil games are kind of like the Silent Hill games that he never played. I'm very much experiencing the same things, especially with Silent Hill 1, where these kind of feel like the Resident Evil games I never played, and I've really enjoyed them for that. And I'll, I'll give a little disclaimer. I know that this is a Silent Hill episode, episode and for some reason disclaimer made my google home go off and i don't know why but <laughs> they're this always is a silent hill episode. it's true so resident evil 2 was my jam as a kid and i was i'm on the resident evil side of the east coast west coast thing that goes on with these two genres I will probably end up talking about Resident Evil a lot in this episode, just because it is my point of comparison, and I very much feel like this is a Resident Evil game I never played, even though it's kind of Silent Hill. For for me, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be playing two roles, so it's gonna be a referee, right, just to make sure it's an even battle between both of you. But then also, I had this uh, this chance where. Uh, growing up, you know, I played RE2, but I hadn't beaten RE2 or three till we got to it on the podcast. This is one of those games that I remember being blown away when I saw it visually, right? I saw like the the spooky tone, the fog. I think the fog is going to be something that's going to be part of our conversation. 
But going back now, especially that there's been so many rumors about, hey, is Sony going to announce like some kind of remake or, or not or something like that? And I think it is worth pointing, not just because uh, the topic of Resident Evil may be factored into all of this. Uh, let's let's give some context, right? We are going to be going back to 1999. So when talking about that, if the question is which games came out that year, we have Silent Hill 1, but we also have Resident Evil 3, not 2. And I think in hindsight, some people kind of think that RE1 or 2 came out at the same time as Silent Hill one so it's like this whole thing yeah, where that really caught me off guard because i've in my head i've always kind of put resident evil director's cut and silent hill together because they're the first ones in the genre but no by the time that silent hill came out like resident evil 2 was long out at this point yeah and i think that's partly the inspiration behind it was you have Resident Evil kind of being this runaway success. And I think Konami wanted to find a way to sort of catch up and, and, you know, enter that space, but do something a little bit different. And overall, this was a big year because we're talking about Final Fantasy VIII, Crazy Taxi, Legacy of Kane, Crash Team Racing, uh, Shenmue, uh, Dino Crisis. I think that eventually that's one of those games that I'm like, huh, it's got that similar similar ga- gameplay style but yeah have you ever played dino crisis ryan no i actually Ooh. i think there All was right. one your stream where you showing footage of dino crisis yeah or yeah something. I was showing that. um and after seeing that i'm like okay maybe this is the silent hill slash resident evil game none of us have played i'm not sure if you guys have played it but nope i uh, have and now i want to put it on the short list because yeah, it is absolutely. one of those games but instead of zombies it's dinosaurs and it's awesome it could happen. It's it could survival happen. survival horror meets Jurassic Park, what it looks I mean, like can, to me. Can you ask so, for more? Yeah, I know. Sign me up for that. <laughs> so before we get uh, deep into the conversation, remember everybody, we put out a brand new episode every every uh, Sunday. If you want to leave a five-star rating, you can do so on uh, you know Stitcher, Apple Podcast, uh, all that good stuff. We also have the Discord. Huge shout out to everybody. It's become like a, a retro gaming collecting haven or Keith hates it because of that, right? Keith is like, no, man, you can't do that. But then Ryan's all in. If you want to see Ryan get his sexy, physical, digital copy, because he's got both. He's got both of these. But if you want to see the physical copy, <laughs> you head over to acastofthepast.com slash Discord. Is that right, Ryan? Absolutely. A lot of great conversations going on there. Indeed. I mean, check it out for the, for those on the video version. And uh, okay, okay, I know the price. I know the price of this, but don't reveal <laughs> it, Ryan. Don't reveal it, Ryan, because okay, it it is a topic, right? It's like whenever we go back to these uh, consoles, it's it's the question of do you do emulation, do you do digital, or buy the games? And somebody listening to this may be interested. So Keith. I'm curious, how much do you think that physical copy, that CIB, complete inbox copy of Silent Hill 1 cost? God, I don't even have a clue because I know physical game prices have just skyrocketed since the pandemic. Throw so something, man. Throw, throw something out there. I'm going to guess 45 bucks. <laughs> uh, it's a little bit higher than that. Okay. Anything higher than that leads me to the question, why? <laughs> <laughs> There is, yeah, I know it doesn't make sense because, okay, so originally I played this game, you know, I didn't play this game as a kid, um, Silent Hill. I got into it um, after it was recommended and I went through kind of an old school video, uh, video game binge like 10 years ago. Uh, so I ended up getting the digital download on the PlayStation 3. So that's the version I've typically played. 
But lately, because I've been on a game collecting uh, addiction, I'll just call it what it is, right? I've wanted to get the complete physical editions of every Silent Hill game. And it's a really bad time to do this. Yeah, that's like the I've worst time. Might argue it's the worst I've already time. paid over $100 for Silent Hill 3, which it's very hard to get. Thankfully, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Man, the, the face Keith yeah. just made is just like, Dude, what the hell? Yeah, thankfully, I own Silent Hill 2. I got it years ago, and I got it for 15 bucks. But this this one here, Silent Hill 1, it cost me $70. And that's actually a good deal if you look on eBay right now. Most are going for around 80 plus, 80 to over $100. So It's a good thing we try to have a clean podcast right now. <laughs> yeah, this, I can't this would be say what I'm thinking right now. <laughs> <laughs> I can't use the words that are in my head. In order to have a healthy conversation before Keitha breaks down here, naturally, we're going to be talking a lot about the story. And this is where I've been told Ryan, it's like, look, Silent Hill games are not just deep in story, they're deep in lore. It's like the whole the whole thing is an entire concept. But i like us to all initially just give our, our first impressions, starting with... With Keith and myself, because there's a reason we're talking about this game, right? It's like, it's a it's a Ryan-sponsored episode, if you will. So starting first uh, with you, Keith, having played Silent Hill 2, knowing what we were kind of going to get into, what's your take on the first game? It was, or actually, hold on, I've got some notes on it um, quickly. Uh, actually, I just have one note, and my experience with this game was, this door is jammed, this door cannot be open. <laughs> And that's about it. It was um, it was weird in the way that the I I almost feel like you have to have two conversations about this game, even more so about Silent Hill Two, because you there's the gameplay of it, and then there's the story of it. Where the gameplay I found to be frustrating for most of it but the story i really enjoyed and as weird as it sounds it's honestly something that um i think was accentuated about the fact that i watched the silent hill movie first where i kind of had a rough idea of where they were going with it and it compelled me continue playing it because this is a game where i believe that most of the good stuff happens in the back half of the game and it's a bit of a slog to get there but once you get there, once it starts clicking, we're, we're going a mile a minute with that one. And it took a while for me to enjoy it, maybe because the beginning was so gameplay heavy and not knowing where to go. It was a lot of just going through kind of samey looking corridors, trying to find the right door, the one out of eight that are actually, <laughs> actually unlocked and don't give me that prompt that almost made me want to throw my controller into my TV. Keith went so, to sleep just with that locked door sound. <laughs> uh, it, it was it was funny because like comparing it to Resident Evil, at first I was thinking like, oh, that's weird that they don't do the um the loading door animation where they actually show it loading through the door. I thought that was weird and I was going to make that a knock against the game. But by the time we got near the end of the game and I was just trying to find the right door out of them, I was so happy that they didn't have that because just looking at that over and over would have like drove or like driven me crazy. So it's just, just like a funny little thing about the game. Would you say that watching the movie uh, last year for, for review, did that help? Did that that hurt like knowing that there's a context because obviously some things always change 
But what, what's your take on that? I actually think it helped my experience with Silent Hill 1 because I was able to kind of, um, like, I, like I mentioned, it compelled me through the story where I kind of knew where they were going and I knew what they were trying to accomplish with it. So it gave me the opportunity to see it through. And I remember Ryan mentioning that this is the better version of that story, which now on the other end, I totally agree with. So it was cool to see this okay thing that I had consumed to be even better at the end of it. So yeah, honestly, not having the like having the weird order that we did that I don't think anyone else should ever do it actually made the gameplay <laughs> experience of Silent Hill 1 better do you mean play watching the movie first and then yeah watching the movie the, okay. first and then yeah, because we were full back we started from yeah. Silent Hill 2 the the movie and then this and I, ha- I actually have to agree because I've said it in this podcast that even with some of the movies that we cover they can be objectively bad but It's like a curiosity piece, right? It's like, oh, go back to this movie, not because it's good, but because it gives you context. And and especially with the Terminator uh, films, I think we've fallen under that, right? With some of them. With this game, I feel like if I had played it first, because it was my first real Silent Hill experience, um, I would have felt like, ooh, this is really, really old and dated. And the fact that we've played Resident Evil 2, 3, Silent Hill 2, and then going back to this, it's like... Okay, I kind of get what I'm getting into. So even like, you know, the tank controls, it I got used to it in like two seconds. I actually think the only thing that hampered my experience is that I learned in Silent Hill 2 that just don't stop running and you're pretty much not going to get hurt. The moment that I remember that from 2, I immediately started doing that in this game and I rarely died because of it. It's like very rarely that I use weapons, like unless I absolutely had to. And I don't think it, it hurt my experience because I think I would have been way too impatient. Like with Keith said, this game is not a roller coaster, right? It doesn't start super high up and then go down and there's all of these waves. It sets up the, the, the whole concept of I'm here. I don't know what's happening. And because I had also watched the film, I'm like, okay, I'm curious to see if that's the route that we're going to go. And, and there are very, a lot of similarities, but much like Silent Hill 2, this is one of those games that I stop playing it. I go to bed and I'm like, man, I, I like the attention to detail because um, I think it's less special that you remember that it did come out after Resident Evil 2, after Resident Evil 3. So there's a lot of gaming that happened before this game on on, on PS1. But I, I just love the fact that every nook and cranny in this game, with the exception of the locked doors, they all have a purpose. <laughs> it's like they tell a story. And from the day and night cycle... I, I really enjoy my time with it. And here's going to be my closing thing before taking it to Ryan. I had this whole concept. It's like, I couldn't help compare it to two, right? We we played it. It is impossible. Mm-hmm. And I always had this problem of like, I think I enjoy two's gameplay and, and pacing more, but I actually enjoy this world more. Like there's a, a couple of things. I just, I just felt more like at ease in this. I don't know. I just felt more comfortable in this world. And I, th- I think I like the experience just a little bit more, even if the gameplay uh, is definitely not, you know, super ar- archaic. And uh, now with Ryan, mm-hmm. why, you know, it's not going to be a question of, do you like this game or not? The yeah. answer is yes. Right. Why do you think this is a special uh, game? I think it's, it's special for a lot of reasons because um, again, this was Konami's answer to Resident Evil. 
But instead of just making a cheap knockoff, sure, it's, you know, heavily inspired. Um, you know, I'm sure they were developing this during the time, like, post-Resident Evil 2. Um, so probably, you know, probably didn't take as much inspiration from maybe 3 and probably more so from Resident Evil 2. But they they do a lot of things differently, again, going for more psychological aspect really where this game wins is its music and its sound it it tries to make the most of that and that's probably where they could get you know very creative where you know graphical limitations are definitely a thing then taking advantage of things like sound is really where they can make the experience even more immersive and there's something about this game that even like the crappy PS1 graphics in some ways make it creepier. I, yeah. I, I, you know, because like... It's the darkness and how they use yeah, it. it. Like a lot of the lighting. Because I mean, like I said, for context, I first played this game, you know, back in 2010, um, around that time. So this is me, you know, it's 10 years after this game has come out. We've got PlayStation 3 HD graphics. I start playing this game in the middle of the night during like my winter break and I actually end up shutting it off because I'm getting like creeped out. If you play this game alone in the dark, then it can still freak you out even with these, you know, PS1 graphics. When those first, uh, the gray children, they look kind of like gingerbread men almost like getting attacked (laughs) by those things the first time scare the crap out of you. So I just looked up a quick fact because I was curious But apparently, according to Wikipedia, the the development for Silent Hill started in September of uh, 1996. So by that point, they weren't even looking to capture the Resident Evil like uh, phenomenon because, well, RE had barely come out at that point. So I, according to this, it was their attempt to make something that was big in the West and not really that RE inspired, Mm -hmm. which is interesting. Yeah, I'm curious. I'm curious to see if as time went on, they drew inspiration from it because I think they might have gone through kind of a couple different ideas before like finalizing it. So at that point, they might have been drawing more inspiration from from Resident Evil through kind of the long development cycle. Especially like let's not forget that this is this did not come out at the same time as Resident Evil 2 came out at the same time as RE3 which is very like action heavy so it's not even that this is like a psychological game it's like the pacing mismatch between these two games is like definite and 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 I I like to start that off with you Keith it's like you know when we talked about RE3 we mentioned that game is uh, shorter in comparison to the to the second one the pacing is very different right it's a lot more action heavy it's a lot more about the weapons in contrast to this game which like really takes it back I mean there's like a lot of ammo right but generally speaking you don't have to focus on the weapons do you think like would this have been something you enjoyed back then as opposed to RE3? Honestly, probably not. Just because having played RE2 to death back in the day, and that's what I expected from the survival horror franchise, I've always leaned to the more action side of things, and I think Silent Hill was something that I would have just bounced right off of because it is a slower pace. It's more about exploration and puzzles than actual combat, because I think combat is one of the worst parts of this game. This game, even though it is like, hey, 
much like Silent Hill 2 versus the Resident Evil games at the time, it's cool that you can move and that you can kick enemies. It's definitely an upgrade from the combat of Resident Evil 2, but I still think that the Resident Evil series does it better, where Mm -hmm. it just feels nicer and there's momentum and stuff behind the actual gun usage in this game. And they kind of accepted the fact that, hey, we can't really do melee well, so let's not include it. And just those things wrapped up, I think I would have bounced off Silent Hill very hard. Yeah, Silent Hill. And I think it might just be a thing where it is kind of not to take away from Resident Evil, but it's more of like a I don't I don't have the right word. But since it is a more cerebral thing, it might be something when you're younger, you just wouldn't appreciate like it's more of 100 percent like in a I don't want to say like adult experience, but it is something where it's you know, it's not just your straight to the action kind of thing. Okay. And you're and you're right because I just wanted to say quickly, I even wrote this to both of you on the Discord, which was like, I'm actually glad I played this now, not back then, because I wouldn't have gone this game. I, I just yeah, I would have grabbed the controller and be like, I don't get it. It's a foggy, it's like there's like, where's the girl? Like I'm used to action oriented. Playing it now, I'm like okay, I'm getting it. It's like you can begin to speculate and that if if you're not curious about a story, if you're not creative in your head about that, I, I just don't think this would be the type of game for you. Yeah, and, and talking about the combat a little bit, it was, you know, by design meant to be kind of easier be, and, you know, obviously you're not going to, you know, Harry's aim sucks because you're playing as like an average Joe. They kind of made it purposely a little bit more clunky. Uh, Resident Evil, you're always playing as some kind of like special ops person or whatever. So uh, first like, day on the job, cop oh, well, Leon first, S. Yeah, I guess, yeah, but I mean, he's doing like flips and shit. He got so, some training. You know, <laughs> he's got some training. He passed cop school. Yeah, you got, but... uh otherwise you know you're just in you're like the everyman in silent hill so it's it's meant to be they didn't make combat as big of a focus and they also made it a little bit easier on you but it's also going to be a little bit clunkier in the same way because you're not supposed to be this big tough guy action hero I also, and maybe this is just a me thing, but I also found the design of enemies to really um, play a big role in that as well, where like this versus Resident Evil, you they kind of establish the rules of your enemies pretty quick in Resident Evil. Slow zombies, fast dogs, everything is a little, they, everything kind of has its pattern to it. Where, especially when you're roaming around the town, things kind of feel like so random and sporadic. And especially like the incarnate of that to me is the flying enemies where they, they'll they just come after you and there's no really um, way to like figure out their patterns and stuff they're either going to hit you or they're not and it doesn't feel like i get i, I don't think fair is the right word but it doesn't the feel right they're annoying as hell yeah you just got a six sex six sex yeah, yeah never that's, get you. that's what i do is i i just zigzag and i think there's a reason they didn't put as much emphasis on flying enemies in any future silent hill games like no. you notice in two it there was a bad idea yeah in two there's no enemies <laughs> like that uh and yeah, I'm happy that they, they got rid of them. Yeah they're, yeah, they're annoying. So I wanted to make sure that we first just got some some general context to be like, okay, this is where the three of us kind of are. So so now let's, let's begin to get a, a little bit more into the weeds. So Ryan, could you try to summarize what the story of Silent Hill is all about? Yeah, to, 
to go to the real high level story before I'm sure we'll get into like the real nitty gritty details later. Um, Harry Mason is the typical everyman and he's visiting the vacation town of Silent Hill with his daughter. So they're driving into town as they're driving. There's a police officer who's, you know, driving alongside of him and then Harry sees like this girl in the middle of the road. He swerves, crashes his car. And when he wakes up, his daughter's missing. So the whole journey is him trying to find his daughter. So you're getting clues kind of throughout um, the journey to eventually find the daughter. And you meet, you run into some characters along the way. And then things get little crazy with some spooky cult stuff and kind of finalizing in this uh, kind of big encounter at the end. But uh, I'm sure we can get in. That's that's the basic gist. There's a lot of a lot more that goes into that, but I'll, I'll stop there for now. Yeah, so there's two stories to the game. One is the, exactly what you mentioned, which is the plot of just like, hey, I need to find my girl. But they use that as an excuse to have the story be about Silent Hill. And uh, obviously people like there will be spoilers. It is impossible to have a, a natural, genuine conversation about this uh, without that. Despite that, I, I do think that the ride is fun, right? I'm going to uh, uh, leave the, the more spoiler heavy things in just a second. But the whole concept is like, Hey, we're in this uh, vacation place, but it's completely isolated. All the people are gone with the exception of a, of a few uh, interesting individuals, let's call them like that. So the story becomes of Harry just wondering, okay, like my girl's lost here, but like what the hell is, is even happening here? And in the process, there are some cycles where sometimes like a school looks like a school, a hospital looks like a hospital. When you're walking down the street, it looks traditionally like that, but then all of a sudden, you hear a siren, things change, and things take a very literal uh, dark turn. And that's where you get like the, the super creepy part from the, the sound to the characters, the enemy, just everything about it. And it's this whole concept of what is real, what is not. So in your case, Keith, um, I do think it's fairly similar in style to the second one. What did you think about that for this first game? Honestly, I felt like... The game kind of did a poor job explaining all of that. I I felt like I knew what was going on, especially with like the real world versus nightmare, only because I played Silent Hill 2 originally, where it's especially early on, like I will admit later on, it gets a heck of a lot better and it ends up wrapping up everything nicely. But going on, like going early in the game, you're kind of left going like, well, what's going on? Okay, I guess now I I knew from playing Silent Hill too, like, okay, I'm in the brown area. Now I'm in the night that guess that means I'm in the nightmare area. And it left it feeling a little aimless, especially at the beginning. And I wasn't a big fan of it. It's one of those games where I feel like and Silent Hill 2 is a positive example of this and I feel like this is a bit of a negative one where you need to look up things around the game in order to fully understand why things are happening in it. Yes, I will say there's a lot of supplemental information 
um, about these games. And if you don't read like every single note and remember every single thing that you read or whatever in the game, it is difficult to piece the story together. It's it's very obtuse. And it's one of those games where you do have to do a bunch of reading afterwards to kind of make sense of the whole story. So I, I totally lend that. Um, it's interesting though, because I, I remember I had to explain in the last podcast, the, the kind of the other world concept a little bit more because the way that they handle it in Silent Hill 2 is a little bit more different to how it's handled in the other games, because in Silent Hill 2, once you get to the hospital, you eventually kind of enter the other world and you stay in it for a while. And then you kind of come out of it and you might you kind of go into it like one more time and then the game ends. Whereas it's a little bit more structured in this game where you do the school in the normal world and then you do the school in the other world and then you go to the hospital in the normal world and then you do the hospital in the other world. Um, So it's kind of like more more structured, but it's not explained, I would say. Um, Yeah, I mean, it's not I think it's supposed to be a little bit more um it's supposed to be a little bit like of a mystery that you kind of have to piece together yourself like they don't give you the direct explanations um but again the supplemental information which i agree is it's kind of a downside but also it's fun to have something to read afterwards to kind of understand more so it's a little bit of plus plus and minus there um but I I actually like how it is structured in this game. I think the way that they handle the school really lets you know like what this is. It's like, okay, I'm in the same place, but things look different and certain rooms I didn't get to before um, I can get to now and certain rooms I was in before different things are happening here. Um, and I just thought that was really cool. Um, you can you think about games like A Link to the Past that use kind of that like dual world mechanic. I thought this was a really cool way uh, of doing it. No, same thing. I think overall, I, I really enjoyed the differences because to me, the question was always, as Ryan mentioned, Things change, so what can I access now that I otherwise couldn't? Uh, there was one part where you're in this locker area, and then a cat comes out, but then the <laughs> yeah. world changes, and you hear the same sound. And it's like, that's brilliant game design, because this game's like, that was really the sound good. is the main attraction of this game, and I don't think it, it gets enough credit, because I think if you played this game in mute, like completely silent, it's like a, no pun intended, it would be a completely <laughs> different experience. Because when I went there, I'm like, what am I going to find, right? And I'm not, I'm not yeah. going to get too it's much like into the It's like a deja vu sort of effect. It's like, I've been here before I did this, but you know something's going to be different this And even time. the character, even he, even Harry is sometimes like, okay, well, what's happening? It's like, am I dreaming? Is this, is this really happening? Because it feels like after a couple times, he, he wakes up in, in a different area. And I really enjoyed that. The thing with me, and, and this is Did not... you crap your pants when the thing came out of the locker? <laughs> oh, no. Oh, man. Like, I mean, even with the cat, because it's like, look, yeah. I've said it before. I, as much as I enjoy talking about these games with you, both of you know, like horror games, totally not my thing. There's a reason I stream <laughs> most of these games uh, uh, online. Like, this is uh, the first time that, like, I played 100% of this offline to be like, okay, Juan, get into the experience. I actually turned down my lights and I had to play this game in chunks because it's like I'm playing with a with like a pretty beefy 
uh, a sound system with a subwoofer. So whenever, especially there's like some hallways towards the end of the game and those thuds, like there's like these uncomfortable sounds. I had to pause every five minutes. I'm like, nope. And I knew usually (laughs) nothing happened, but the sound design is always like, what if something happens now? The part of this game that me as a gamer, I realize it's not for me. So I'm not knocking against it, right? It's just like a, a preferential thing is Resident Evil is a lot more literal. It, Resident Evil is pretty obvious. It's like you got to do a puzzle, but there's a lot more logical, visual things about it. Silent Hill is very different. Silent Hill is like psychological. It's a lot more about the notes. It's like I kind of don't get what's happening And that is what the game is. In my case, like full transparency, I had to look up a couple of things because I got stuck a lot in this game because I realized, oh, I got to read this note and this. And like, this is like, I got to remember this. And I'm like, my attention span for a video game has never been the best at that. So Mm -hmm. I felt like tied into that. But I can imagine somebody, and I'm going to ask this to you directly, Ryan, and then Keith, it's like, Anybody that loves like figuring out puzzles and getting into like the real weeds of the story, I'm like, man, that that's freaking rich. It was was that something back in 2010 when you first played it, Ryan? And now is that an appeal for you to the game? I I do like the puzzles, uh, but e- even for me, sometimes they can get uh pretty complicated. Um, especially certain things like even playing through again, um, talking about the school. Um, I couldn't remember how to unlock the piano, right? Because you can't do the piano Ugh. puzzle right away. So I'm like, okay, I got the other medallion. Why is the piano not open? And then it turns out you have to put the other medallion in before first you, before yeah. you can do. I'm like, oh, that's one of those things like playing Zelda and stuff. Normally it's like you collect all the things and then you go over and turn it in or whatever, or other other games. You're used to getting all the pieces before you need to go over there. So that kind of slipped my mind. But the piano puzzle um, is definitely pretty difficult. And it's not like obvious that you know, when you're pushing the keys, some don't make noise and some do. So how, like you figure the ones that do make noise are supposed to be the ones you're supposed to hit and not the ones that don't. But once I remembered, and again, a lot of this is just going off of like playing it previously. So it is very difficult if you don't know it. Is what like a, once I remembered, yeah. oh, it's the ones that don't make noise. I was able to figure out the whole story of that piano puzzle very easily. But no, I mean, I even find some of these pretty challenging. And there were times when I played it back then that like certain areas where I did have to look it up because um, it was just a, just a little bit too obscure. And I felt like there was something I was missing. In, in your case, Keith, from a pacing perspective, did you find yourself kind of like me? where you were just lost and 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 i think that's part of the game right like let's be full real Uh, this is a short game so the average beat time of this is between five to eight hours so like it took me and i get lost every five seconds like between seven to eight hours which is a miracle for me i'm like holy crap i mean that that is like excellent but it is also a testament to they want you to experience the world, not just get from point A to point B. But in your case, Keith, uh, how did you feel with that pacing uh, combined with the puzzles and then maybe uh, like uh, all, all the hints and pieces? I'm very much like you one that way where I get the fact that they're trying to build an atmosphere, but I don't think that there, there comes a point where you can't just say you can't just like excuse 
um, gameplay flaws and call it atmosphere. Like, especially around the hospital time is when I started relying heavily on a guide, mostly because all of the corridors are kind of samey, and especially in the um, in the nightmare world, it's all felt very the same, and that was the part of the game that I really felt like pretty much frustration about there only being one or two doors that um like open and the rest of them are jammed and cannot be opened and i will see that message in my head until the day i die now <laughs> but yeah it's i think that this game could have done a lot more if it was a little more streamlined and i understand that that um that style appeals to some people but for me it's very much like point and click adventure games and why they don't appeal to me because it's a scenario where you're presented with an area and it's just about finding that exact point to click on the screen to progress forward and there was a couple of areas in silent hill where i felt exactly that where you're just um like you're just trying to find that exact combination of things that isn't really obvious all the time and just to get to that one room where you're where the progression lives and having a guide for things like that i think i i honestly this is a game that i probably enjoyed more because i just threw in the towel and used a guide to help me get through it and i think that's fine because the actual experience it's like I, I did it too, right? There, there came a point in time where I just, I try really hard and I'm like, I know for a fact that I don't VCR have... It was the VCR that made me so mad with there, the guide. There's a, couple of th- there's a couple of parts in the game like really? the VCR. What about, like, do you even when, have to do the VCR? I don't think you have to do it, but I was sitting there like trying to figure out where to progress next and trying to figure out what the heck to do with that cassette tape and then finding it out later that it was, oh, that's just this VCR that's in a random room that you get yeah, a, yeah. That get the text for. For me, the part that really gave me a headache is, with that cassette. is the uh, rubber ball. <laughs> the fact that it's like, no, oh, you yeah. got to go to the rooftop and you have to, it's like this little corner that, look, I played this on an emulator, so it's relatively clean. And I'm just like, what the hell do I do with the stupid ball? I'm like, oh, I got to go to that little ass corner that you can barely see, put the ball there. And then I got to go over here, turn on the thing. So the water like pushes it in a certain way that the key falls down. And then I got to go to the first floor. I got to, I'm like, dude, like, first of all, like, wow, we know, well done for anybody that thought that. <laughs> but no, luckily it was the exception, not the rule. But I'm going to ask Keith a question here, because now that we played Silent Hill 2, right, um, you've talked about streamlining. Having played the second one, do you think they did a better job at articulating uh, articulating some of the, uh, the, the, the ins and outs of the puzzle pieces? Or do you think that's kind of just the style at the end of the day? Honestly, I think it's just the style because they did do a lot of um, streamlining between Silent Hill 1 and 2. But when I'm thinking about examples, it's mostly with story stuff and defining the atmosphere of the town and the story. When it comes to puzzle stuff, like, yes, it's a little more obvious. Yes, it's a little more in your face. But it is very going out of your way, trying to figure out where to go and then finding that one space where the progression continues so i don't know i can't speak to if it stays that way in later silent hill games that would be a question for ryan that i would ask but it's maybe that's just not my style 
it, right. it's pretty it, through the first three games it pretty much stays um pretty consistent the only thing that they kind of streamlined was you can combine items i think in in silent hill 2 and that's where you could you had to do that one macgyver thing to oh, get to the that whole, hatch. Like, uh, the horseshoe oh, yeah. and the candle wax that. and all that yeah that that's about the only difference otherwise it's relatively the same but i could see with like the ps1 graphics like seeing some of those things um but yeah what i will say is i appreciate the puzzles in Silent Hill 1, um, you know, there is the object puzzles, but talking more to like the piano puzzles and like some of the ones with um, where you had to do the number of limbs on the the characters or mm-hmm. whatever. Yeah, some is, of them are really cool. Like what, that yeah, what light I would say one is, at the end of the game is y- awesome. Yeah, those ones where um, it makes you feel smart when you solve them, whereas I feel like some puzzles in other survival horror games is kind of like, oh, I got the four pieces. I just put them on the door and call it a day. Um, I like that in this game, you know, when you got those blocks, you actually had to figure out based on the story, like where to put the the green block versus the blue block and the red. Um, so I, I like that it kind of takes it to that next level and when you do figure it out you do feel smart um but also a smart thing that they did in silent hill 2 was if you're not that type of person you could put the puzzles to easy mm-hmm. now right, it's the cool. only game they did that i think in silent hill 3 they just went back to standard difficulty so what i don't does know that why. actually change in silent hill 2 yeah, did we question. ever it does establish make that it um I've never done the easy puzzles, but it just makes them, I think they're just much more straightforward where if you had to put like... Hit a button. If you had to put like three blocks on something, you would just put them in and call it a day. It it wouldn't be like some story with it or whatever. And I've never done the hard mode puzzles either, but um, it would be interesting to try those out. The the one thing I really give this game credit for, and this is like a for better or, or, or worse thing, is that... A lot of games, uh, and this is even like Mass Effect, it's like any game that has kind of like puzzle pieces, you kind of know. It's like once you get the first one, it's like, oh, okay, so all the puzzles in the game are going to follow this exact same format. Not so much with this game. It's like almost every puzzle, it's like you bring up the piano, but then there's the little things like uh, not necessarily a puzzle, but eventually there's a key, but there, it, like the key is like electrified. So you're like, okay, I got to do something else to get access to this key. And then there's another part where you got to turn these cranks so that way you get access to a specific room. There's other ones that you got to look at a specific number and and put those or you got to, you know, uh, uh, mark these uh, buttons in in a way that it makes a shape in according to a picture. So I really applaud this game for not doing two types of puzzles. It almost felt like every single time. I could feel the game designer go like, I just don't want to do the same thing because it would be repetitive because at the end of the day, like this is the gameplay loop. Keith mentioned it. it's like the action part of the game is a gateway for the story and for the puzzle pieces. And with that, it's yeah. like I would like to dedicate this time now because uh, we've dedicated over 30 minutes already to this game without talking about the thing. And I think that's by design because Let's get to the characters first. I think that's the the next logical step. So, Ryan, 
as mm-hmm. the resident Silent Hill fan here, <laughs> um, how would you like to go about this? Because there's so many places I feel I wouldn't do it justice yeah, just going to the next place. I wonder if we get into the, the real meat of the story because I think some of the characters won't make sense until we kind of get into the context. So I, I guess I'd first ask... Um, how confused are you guys about this story? Like, um, do you want me to just give you the 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 nitty gritty on it? And okay, okay, you I'm guys curious. Can ask questions? When okay. when the game when the credits rolled, what was your thought? Like, give me your reaction. I want to see if it's the same as mine. My thought once the credits rolled were like, yeah, okay, I guess it's kind of similar to the Silent Hill movie. <laughs> same thing. My thought process is like. Some weird stuff happens. Like that part, that last part of the game, it's like, holy crap. I mean, I felt <laughs> like it was like a Dragon Ball Z fight about to unfold with some like lights and stuff, but then it ends fairly normal within that. And I was like, I'm not smart enough well, to understand what's yeah, happening. Yeah, there is multiple <laughs> endings and we don't know what ending Keith got, but we'll, we can get to that. Um, so, okay, here's, here's what happens in, in a nutshell. I'll try to explain this as best I can. Uh, uh, Alessa, who is this young girl, she is really at the crux of this entire story. She is this young girl who's born with psychic powers. Her mother is Dahlia Gillespie. She belongs to this weird cult that um, it kind of operates within the town. Um, because of her, because of Alessa's psychic powers, uh, her mother, this fanatic, thinks that she is like this chosen one or whatever and they choose her to do this ritual to birth the god of their cult called like the order is what they're known as so what ends up happening is during this ritual there is uh, there's kind of a there's not a consensus a consensus on what actually happens. They say there's like there's a newspaper clipping says there's like a boiler explosion, but other people speculate that Alessa was burned alive as part of the ritual. Either way, the house goes up in flames, and Alessa somehow survives this. Um, but to prevent the cult from continuing to birth their god, she splits her soul. <laughs> And that part of yes. her soul goes away and, like, somehow turns into this baby on the side of a road that Harry Mason finds. Um, and then this is a seven-year gap to when now the game starts and Cheryl is that other half of Alessa. And she is kind of re-summoned, um, in a way, to the town and that's why she kind of runs off on her own and Harry can't find her is because she's trying to reconnect with Alessa. And then throughout the game, it's kind of this cat and mouse between Dahlia and Alessa. Dahlia is really kind of using Harry as a tool to um, kind of bring Alessa and Cheryl together so that they can help. She's basically Liquid Snake. Yeah, essentially. Huh. Huh, and, that's a pretty, pretty easy way to put it. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, if Keith tries to, like, crap on how weird this story is, I'm just going to be like, nanomachines and your crazy MGS Yeah, and stuff. I got nothing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, uh, and, and that's really, like, the main thing around this story is 
um, that they're ch- like Dahlia wants them to be rejoined to birth the God, but um, Alessa is also trying to rejoin herself so that she can like, and it's really sad. She's trying to basically rejoin so that she can die to prevent this ritual from taking place. So it's really a sad position to be in. She's in constant pain. And um, Alessa basically with kind of, the combination of the town of Silent Hill, which we learn a lot in Silent Hill 2, is kind of like its own character and has a, its own kind of power behind it. But because Alessa is basically in constant pain, she's been burned alive, her nightmare and everything is what's like consuming the town. So that's why the other world is like this burnt, charred place because it's like representative of like her torture and all the enemies are a kind of a reflection of either fears or just parts of Alessa's childhood, all just kind of manifesting themselves in the town. So that is like the high level explanation and we can kind of go from there. I just got to say, Ryan, you sound so sexy when you explain things. <laughs> I I'm just listening to you. I'm like, oh, okay. Man, that's right. a man that knows his stuff. I hope things uh, were a little bit... I hope that clears up the a little bit more of the game because they don't make it obvious with the whole like soul splitting thing. Like, you know, Cheryl and Alessa are connected in some way, but it's kind of hard they to don't, piece it together. They don't make it obvious at first, but one thing that I will give this game a ton of credit for is by the end of it, all of that made sense to me. Once they you get into the back half of the game, I do think that they do a very good job explaining everything that's going on. Like, e- even the whole soul splitting thing i understood that by the end of it with that scene where there's like the doctor pixel burning Alyssa along right. with the ghost cheryl right beside each other like mm-hmm. i got that okay those are two two of the same being together and even with the nightmare town i think they do a really good job of like when harry has that like epiphany moment where he's understanding that like oh things are starting to merge together and now the nightmare is becoming reality and they're becoming one thing they do a really good job of hand holding the story near the end of it so that everything is crystal clear i think for myself the only exception to that would be the kaufman character where i still don't understand what he was but everything else i got by the end of it yeah, and I want to put a pause on, on that character because I know there's some, like, optional stuff. So I want to give, like, my reaction to this first is uh, what Keith said. What I loved about Harry as the game progressed is that he started becoming a lot more aware. And the fact that he flat out says it, right, as Keith mentions, like, hey, things are beginning to combine. And every time he wakes up, quote unquote, he kind of gets more upset. It's like, what the hell is happening to the point that he's becoming a lot more upset and in, in a weird way, he almost cares a little bit less about his daughter. I'm not saying he doesn't care about her, but it's like there's this nagging thing of like, just can somebody please clarify, like, who the hell is Dahlia? And I feel they did a, a pretty decent job of ha- getting Harry to feel the way we did. The only nitpick, and this is a problem with a lot of games in this time, is I wonder if the script could have taken this to another level because... Something that was surprising to me, and it's worth pointing because it's a story element, 
in many ways, I found the voiceover in this game to be almost slightly better performed than the second game. And that's it's oh, weird. You don't even have to say slightly. This Why game is, is miles better yeah. than Silent Why? Hill 2. Uh, that's, that's, I find that interesting. Um, I think you know, a lot of people complain about... Um, not necessarily that the voice actors are bad, but it just kind of comes across as awkward. But I think it kind of works just with it just works with the shitty PS1 graphics and the style. Um, and also, it just kind of adds to the eeriness because like the PS1, like you can feel it loading each audio file individually because um, <laughs> it's like you get Harry's like radio. What's going on with that radio? <laughs> you know, uh and that there's just long pauses in between the dialogue, but it kind of works, you know, like it just adds to the like creepy atmosphere of the game. So I don't know. I, I yeah, like I said, I, I think the lines like are delivered fine. It's just obviously the it doesn't have a natural flow to it just because the PS1 um, limitations. Even though I love the game, it's also part of the um, my belief that the James character in Silent Hill 2 is the worst voice acted character in video game history. Really? <laughs> I, it was pretty bad. Like, I, I remember bad. if there's Maybe one you guys thing I sp- like the HD version. Better. Oh, man. But if there's <laughs> one thing know. I clearly remember about our previous like our, our Silent Hill 2 review, it's like that's the first thing that sticks out to me. It's like every time he spoke, I'm like, dude. You're killing me here. It's like, come on, man. It's one thing to be a mediocre voice actor. So that's like, it was so weird to me. I'm like, why is the first game's voice acting definitely better? It was like, I was not minding (laughs) it. I don't necessarily feel that way. Like I said, because of the pauses and stuff. But I get how it kind of works within the context of the game. Now, I am curious. Uh, so we've we've laid out a couple of the characters. There's there's a two in particular that we haven't gotten to yet, but if the question was which character you enjoyed watching, it's the one that whenever they were part of a cutscene or something, you're like, "Okay, we're we're getting somewhere. I'm enjoying this." Starting with Keith, uh, which character would you say because we have from Harry to the cop and Sybil, we have Lisa, which uh, uh, I I really need Ryan to to Give me a little bit more context about Lisa later, sure. Kaufman. Ooh, let me try this one because she was my favorite. So Lisa is a character where, in my opinion, she had the best arc in the game where she's a character that you find in the nightmare world unconscious and she kind of becomes the um kind of like a pillar for harry going through the game like whenever he has a question or he needs direction lisa's kind of there and sends him in that direction and they don't really bring it up at first but they slowly bring it up more and more through the game goes on but lisa's in the nightmare world and she doesn't really know why that is and eventually through like a couple of plot details like her feeling like she's not allowed to leave the hospital and feeling cold you end up with the big reveal that well she's been dead the entire time she was murdered and then she turns into the same as everyone every other enemy that you fought in the hospital before your eyes bringing out the like giving a more understanding of the why those monsters the way they are 
it led to like basically all the doctors and nurses that were um that helped alessa in her treatment was like the incarnate of those monsters and lisa was one of those and that arc i thought was great and it wasn't like us it was a very subtle thing that happened throughout the game that wasn't like story defining it just kind of happened and i appreciated it how well did i do there <laughs> you nailed it 10 out of 10 yes 10 out of 10 <laughs> and yeah and that's actually one of the coolest like scenes in the game when you have the cutscene of her like transforming into holy crap that, yeah. that was deep it was one it's of the parts of the game that PS1. i'm like man yeah. It is. And it's cool because it was a contrast to where most of the CG, I, I guess you could call it CG cutscenes beforehand, featured her and in like a very like caring kind of way or like confused kind of way. And then she just starts bleeding from her skull and transforming. It was nuts. Yeah. And I got I got a fun fact on the uh, the cutscenes a little bit later. Um, but yeah, that is completely Lisa in a nutshell. She was the main caretaker for um, for Alessa after she was burned. And Kaufman, kind of to segue into him, he was like basically the director for that Alcamilla hospital where you, okay. you know, the hospital you play through. And he basically... He also had this like drug trafficking kind of thing he was doing on the side. Uh, but essentially, he had Lisa basically addicted to drugs and kind of blackmailed her into treating Alessa and not being able to say anything to anyone. So she had a very tragic situation and she does eventually die. Um, I don't I don't know if they ever explain how she dies, but um, it, it's not super important but just that she has a very kind of tragic situation and um yeah and then she's basically stuck in the nightmare world because she is one of like alessa's memories i i really loved uh lisa as a character like the whole time in the game i'm just like man uh, forget about the whole like uh you know where's the girl and and dolly and the other ones I love that they added this character that in the grand scheme of the story, she doesn't actually change anything, right? Because she was the caregiver for, for Lisa, as, uh, as you mentioned, but the story's not about Lisa yet. They use her as a glue to give you like a, another context of like other people in Silent Hill that were affected. And that yeah. part I like because a lot of games kind of go dry where it's like, hey, here's the main story. The world's empty. It's like there's nothing else. But she gives you a glimpse of like all these other people. And like that part was deep when she said that like she feels like she can't leave the hospital. I'm like, okay, I get it. But I felt the desperation because she didn't know who she was. Like she, it, it's like she died. Yeah, she right? didn't but remember she's not aware. at first. Yeah, exactly. And, and I really, really love that. So where do you think we should go from here? Because Kaufman, you, you, so I did a couple of things in this game that you told me were optional. And honestly, I didn't know. Like I did them because yeah, I'm so like, there's, hey. There's multiple endings. Does one of them straight up say, well, this was a waste of my time? Because that <laughs> pissed me off. <laughs> now, yeah. So there's, there's four different endings you can get. Um, essentially, there's, there's the bad ending. The bad plus ending, I think. The good ending and the good plus ending. Could you um, try to summarize which one? Because I, I got the good yeah, so plus. I, you got good plus. So, essentially, there is a... After you come out of the sewers, 
there is a side quest you can do with Dr. Kaufman where you rescue him at a bar. He's getting attacked by an enemy and you kind of go through a couple different things um, and you end up finding like uh, this weird red stuff like off of a motorcycle eventually and then Kaufman like interrupts you. Um, but essentially saving Dr. Kaufman is what gives you either the the good if you save him you get the good ending if you don't save him you get the bad ending um so keith did you do that side quest uh yes i did and then i talked to him in the motorcycle like near the motorcycle and that's when he did there that's when or henry was like yeah this is a waste of my time oh yeah great but i (laughs) I had to look it up goofing off (laughs) yeah yeah, exactly get out of when you mentioned it and apparently i got the good ending where so you did not save sybil no, I ended up fighting Sybil. I didn't realize that that was, some, that was something that yeah. could happen, which so is this, cool. Yeah, this is a little bit more obscure. And actually, I think the, technically the canonical ending is actually the ending you got, Keith, where Sybil is not saved. But this is something I, I got the bad, like the worst ending the first time I played this game because I beelined straight to like the boathouse or whatever. I never did the Kaufman side quest. And I never got the stuff. But basically, before you go into the nightmare world at the hospital, you can find a bottle in the kitchen and then you find that red liquid on the ground. So if you scoop up some of the red liquid, you can then use that on Sybil to save her. Like it gets it gets rid of the the like the demon thing inside of her. Mm -hmm. Because if you notice at the end of the game, like Kaufman took that the red stuff from you. It's called like Alga Fodis or something. It has some weird name to it. But anyway, he throws that at Alessa at the end and it like exercises the demon. Like that's why like the you get that the demon god at the end as the final boss because it's like it finally like comes out of Alessa. Now, if you don't save Kaufman, then that never happens and you fight like this weird glowy Alessa as the final boss of the game. So there's okay. actually there's actually two different final bosses. Um, they both are essentially the same boss fight. They just look aesthetically different. And the bad ending is a kind of Harry was dead the whole time kind of thing where um, you you kill like the Alessa boss or whatever, but then you just see Harry like stuck in the nightmare world and everything's falling apart and then it cuts to a cutscene of him like dead in his car where the car crashed and that's how it ends and you're just like oh that's bull crap yeah, yeah. you're just Hissed. like oh what the hell but yeah, that's, that's not like the cheapest <laughs> it, this yeah. all never happened so uh, yeah i was like what when i it first played the, the game and globe. then i immediately went on youtube to look up the other endings because i was like this is bullshit so i'm curious here because this is a conversation that we've had, uh, you know, we did a, an episode a little while ago about decisions in games and how much they matter or not. And here we see like there is a definitive difference from all the way to he was dead the whole time. It's like, oh, my goodness, to, hey, you know, things did, things turn out fairly OK to the point that a key character in Sybil could be dead or alive. Do you do you both like the fact that this game gives you all these alternate scenarios that are quite dramatic? Is, is that something you you enjoy? 
It is cool, and I it was something that I didn't realize that there was alternate endings until this conversation, because especially a lot in games these days, you are given, like, the most literal choice of, okay, you if you do this, you are going to get one ending, but if you do this other thing, you are going to get the other um, ending, and you know when that is happening, but the fact that there's little hidden things that are easy to miss that can contribute to... Um, to what you get, I think that's a really cool feature that more things should have um, should have done. And I know they expanded on that in Silent Hill too, because wasn't there like five or six different endings in two? Yeah, there is multiple endings, and of course, the original. This also, much like the second game, they have like funny endings too. There's like a UFO. Oh, is there? There yeah. is a UFO. I think every game has a UFO ending. Um, Do they have the talking dog or whatever it was? No, that was the oh. yeah. Silent Hill Two had one of the best ones with the dog. I forget what other Silent Hill. I don't know if there's an additional ending besides the UFO ending in the first game, but that one you can only get in like the new game plus. Um, basically the second playthrough. Um, but I, I do think. This game is one of the more like consequence driven endings where I feel like James's story in Silent Hill 2 is just kind of like told and the ending almost doesn't really matter. Whereas the ending of Silent Hill 1 actually has big consequences, as you see, like with Silent Hill 3 being a, a direct sequel to it. So I think that the ending feels a little bit more important where um, either way in Silent Hill 2, it's like I feel like what you get no matter what at the end with james's story kind of fits um except for some of the more offbeat ones that are like the more joke endings or whatever um so i do feel like the the endings are a little bit more important in, in this game so in my case something i wanted to to touch up on now is just generally speaking some of the uh, standouts or, or favorite things about the game starting with me what I really liked is like it's the little details. Um, so I figured out that when you turn off the lights, a lot of the enemies can't see you. So it makes it even easier depending the situation, especially in the hospital. You can kind of just mm -hmm. like walk around, not really have to kill a lot of enemies. But I'm like, wait a minute, I got a key, but I can't use that on the damn door. And it's because in some places it's like you need to turn on the light. And it, it logically makes sense, right? He can't look mm -hmm. at the map unless he has the flashlight on. And it's like yeah. those little things that it's very insignificant. Let's be real. Like, there's no real consequence. It takes you like a second to turn on the light. But I like the fact that it's like, oh, man, okay, I got to turn it on. But if I gotta if I turn it on, yeah. then they're going to see me. There's a decision so I got to be careful. And yeah, it's true. It's a nice little detail where, hey, if you're going to have the convenience and it's a little bit easier to see in this game in the dark than it is in Silent Hill 2. I felt it was like way, Silent Hill 2 felt way darker. Um, but uh, it's a nice thing where it's like, hey, if you want to avoid enemies with the flashlight, well, there is a, there is a trade-off there. You're not going to be able to use the map um, without turning the light on. And the map is, is a huge crush in this game, which is kind of a nice challenge that they give you at the end where there is no map and you got to remember where to go. But definitely, I love little things in this game, like when you're in the hospital and you've, it's before the nightmare hospital, it's just a regular hospital, and you know you've checked every single door, and you go to like the third floor, and the door's locked, and you're like, what the hell, I just checked everything. Then you go in the elevator, and what's there? 
magically there's a fourth floor right. that wasn't there mm-hmm. before and you're like oh you clever bastard same thing with one of the rooms <laughs> where you leave and i was I'm like wait a minute this hallway is a little bit longer than i remember it being and the problem with the game though is that if it took longer to load i'm like oh something's changing you're yeah. doing some of them things yeah yeah like the school um, when you're in the nightmare version of the school, one of the bathrooms actually, when you come out, you go up a floor, um, which might throw you off for a minute. And I know in the in the nowhere world at the end, there's one random door that takes you up a floor. Yeah. yeah. So what what about you, Keith? Uh, what's uh, your favorite takeaway or something that just really stuck out for you? You brought it up earlier, one, but a thing that I want to give a lot of credit to is the ambiance of this game and the sound, where I think they just did it masterfully, where a lot of games will, like, Silent Hill is a game where I loved the sound of it, but I would not go listen to the soundtrack of it, because most of the times, the fact that they didn't use music in places, I think, accentuated the environment of the game more, where it was banging, or there was just creepy carnival music once you got to the carnival near the end of the game, or the fact that it was this like low, almost annoying humming sound that almost like you just wanted to get out of it and it was putting you on edge they did a wonderful job with all of that and even with the monsters and the creatures and the like the grunts and sounds that they would make that would leave you on edge it is wonderful with sound and it just nailed that so well it really did it really did and here's the thing so silent hill one and two were not directly connected but three is so uh ryan uh, without like spoiling right But from a mechanical standpoint, do you think that Silent Hill 3 is a step up from this game? Yeah, definitely. Um, You know, it... The story-wise, I think Silent Hill 3, of the the first three games, the story of Silent Hill 3 may not be my favorite, but some of the things that they do in terms of psychological horror, I think is really, really good in Silent Hill 3. And obviously with the PS2, they could do a lot more than the PS1. So I'll just say that there's some areas from Silent Hill 1 that you revisit in Silent Hill 3 that they take to such a to a way cooler level. Nice. One of which I'll say outright is the amusement park. And I think they do some really cool stuff with that. So uh, that's a little sneak preview for next year you know yeah um but yeah they just um it's it's definitely worth playing and it's an like i said a nice continuation of the story and i'm I'm, you know if you guys it seems like you're interested in this story i think you'll you'll want to you'll want to tackle that game eventually too i do want to tackle that game eventually too and we will on the cast of the past i mean we're podcasting ain't ain't quite done this episode yet because i wanted to quickly Uh, Just to give everybody some context. So usually I start the episodes with, you know, the chronological order of games or something. But I think there's like some really cool things to just explain. It's like uh, even Ryan said, maybe after three, we kind of we kind of don't necessarily keep going. And I know that's like heavily debated. But just for context here, uh, I'm also going to bring it up on the uh, on the uh, video version. So Silent Hill one came out in ninety nine. Interestingly enough, and I didn't know this, this is this, uh, from uh, giantbomb.com is my source. 
in 2001, they released a play novel of Silent Hill 1 for the Game Boy Advance in Japan, which like, Ryan, have you played that or seen it? No, I, I don't. I, I don't know if people have done like a ROM hack that's translated in English, but like you said, it's it's in Japanese. So uh, I don't it's know like, if there's what? a way to play. Yeah. On the GBA? I, but I, I've there's some things that like you can read on the wikis that were kind of extracted from it. But um, yeah, I have not played so it. So Silent Hill 2 came out in 2001. Interestingly enough, a couple of months after they in Europe, they released Silent Hill 2 Relentless Dreams, which is an oh, updated restless, version. Restless oh, re- Dreams. Restless Relentless. I think that was also the restless. Xbox version of Silent Hill right, 2, right. I want to say. Did you, I forget. I think I asked you this before. Did you play that one? No, um, they have, it's basically the same game, but they have like a prologue where you play as Maria, but I, I've never actually done it. Okay. Interesting. So in 2003, Silent Hill 3 came out. Uh, in 2004, Silent Hill 4 came out and I played the demo of that. And, and when Ryan told me maybe we stop at three, I'm like, I think that's a good idea. He's <laughs> not a big fan of how that I, was going. I will say outright, I think both of you guys will hate Silent Hill 4, f- not for the story, but for the gameplay. We got yeah. Silent Hill Origins in 2007. Originally a PSP game. Oh, okay, okay. But also ported to PS1, and it's like $100, and I don't want to spend that together. <laughs> <laughs> not yet, not don't, yet. Just don't do it. God He'll do it eventually. It. Like, Ryan needs that complete Silent Hill collection. Yeah. Am I wrong, Ryan? Am I wrong? You're not wrong. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to happen, Keith. Yeah. And then we got Silent Hill Homecoming on the uh, PS3 and 360 in 2008. Uh, I don't know what the hell this is. Shattered, okay. Because it's going to come up, because I've I've heard this game in, in Silent Hill 1 be compared. So, what is Shattered Memories? So, Shattered Memories is, it's a reimagining of Silent Hill 1. So, it's, it's a very, it's, you know, starts similar with Harry Mason crashing his car and his daughter goes missing. But basically, from there, it's a completely different story. Um, so, it's in its own universe. And it is definitely it's been on i think it's on multiple consoles but the wii version it was it's it felt like it was built for the wii and i think that's what it's best played on because you take away the motion controls it kind of loses a little bit of its luster okay 2012 we got sound hill downpour the, the only the only mainline Silent hill game i have yet to beat so i i still gotta tackle that one myself interesting uh then 2012 the Silent hill hd collection which includes uh, just throw it, just burn it. Three, yeah. <laughs> and then easily the favorite version of Silent Hill that everybody has always played and loves is Silent Hill Book of Memories, where they turned it into a top-down action game. Yeah. For uh, the Vita. No, thank you. Yeah. What? Yeah, it's like a four-player co-op thing. Like, I played the demo, so that's how I know. And I'm like, man, I haven't played a damn Silent Hill game in full this ain't no damn like these hills are not that silent okay (laughs) yeah keith so having said that keith um are you happy are you satisfied that you finally did play this and and now even as a podcast it's like i think this is a milestone because we've covered i think the the minimal essentials let's call it like we can keep going right and we are with other games but it's like we've done re2 and 3 we've done selling hill 1 and 2 where do you think this goes from here? Is like aside from like Silent Hill three, is there any other like horror game that all both of you guys go like, hey, I have own experiences, I've heard about this, or it's time to go back to? 
That's a tough one for me, really, because I live in the Resident Evil bubble more than anything. So the first thing that you say when, um, oh, well, what's next when it comes to the horror things? My brain goes, well, let's go right back to Resident Evil. We got some good ones to cover there still. And beyond these two genres, I know they're out there, but I don't really know much about any other games. Like, I guess there's the Amnesia games and stuff like that that are really coveted. And I don't know, are the... Five Nights and Freddy's games there were some PS2 games like Sh- Shattered Sean Sh- Wolf something <laughs> Sean of the Dead Sean Wolf what? something Shattered Sean Wolf yeah but I know there's like a, a trilogy of like very expensive PS2 uh, what, games Fatal Fatal Frame is something oh, okay. I've heard of it, that, it's not that but that is that that is something else I was thinking about. It's like oh, uh, and there's Parasite. We need to oh, play Parasite. Parasite See, but, but between that and Crisis, I would definitely go more into Parasite. Eve. I I think yeah. that it would be well, a nice... Parasite. Eve. Interesting. I, I it's more of like an RP. It's like a survival horror RPG. Like the combat is RPG based. So, but the, I mean that could be an interesting twist. So, uh, I'm definitely open to that. Definitely. But everybody, uh, I've really enjoyed this conversation. It's like these specific games that are staples in, in video game history, um, aside from like, you know, it's a good game. Like we, we never doubted that going into this game. Like do some things hold up? No, but I mean, it came out in 99 and it's tank controls and a whole lot of things. But if all of you want to keep carrying the conversation, don't forget there is a cast of the past.com slash discord where mr mcnulty continues to publish his sexy growing mm-hmm. collection of retro and gaming i, do, I get a everybody few else. fun facts before we fully close out oh, okay just, just, we, we ain't closing down man just everybody <laughs> if you enjoy this this podcast leave the positive reviews or talk smack about keith ryan bring up some Either of the facts okay both, so yeah. one one of the more obvious ones um that i'm a lot of people have heard about is the, the fog actually originally was not in Silent Hill, but basically like testing it in the terrible draw distance because it's not, you know, we, we talk about how we love, uh, we love us them full, uh, pre-rendered images and fixed camera angles in RE2, um, but actually Silent Hill is like fully rendered 3D. Um, through the whole game and you can sort of change the camera angles it's not always fixed camera angle anyway because of all that fanciness the draw distance is god awful so especially during the daytime the the fog was basically implemented to mask the the terrible draw distance and then obviously when it came to the future iterations on ps2 they kept it as like an atmosphere thing to keep you like uncomfortable that even though you're in these open environments you feel very closed in so um i thought that was pretty cool and every n64 game so the the big um thing that i wanted to bring up that i just thought was really cool was the um the developer for Silent Hill who was responsible for um, doing the the cutscenes, the 3D cutscenes. His name, I'm going to butcher his name, but it's uh, Taka, Takayoshi Sato. Um, he basically what happened was that he started working on the 3D cutscenes and they liked what he was doing, but 
his boss wanted to find somebody to put above him to to give him direction. Um, it's, it's apparently in Japanese companies, they, they don't want to credit someone who was young on the team. He was like a young kind of up and comer. So they wanted to kind of put someone above him who would take credit for all the CGI cutscenes. Um, but he didn't want to do that because like he had 30 to 40% of all the movie sequences already done. So he, he wanted to get credit. And he just said, I don't need anyone above me. And then the, his boss just said, fine, then you can finish them on your own. So basically for like, he said he didn't go home for three years. Basically, what? he lived at the office. He slept under the desk. And then like at midnight after everyone went home, he said it was his real chance to work because he had access to all the computers. So he had over 150 computers, like all like rendering cutscenes for him. Ryan, I'm about yeah. to blow your mind. Yeah. Lisa could not leave the hospital. Yeah. What if Lisa... And the CGI artist, <laughs> they're the same person. Yeah, it was what a if that's, that was the inspiration? That's <laughs> seriously. True. That's it, it's like, yeah. If you think about makes that, sense. when you said that, I'm like, wait, this makes more sense than even part of, <laughs> parts of the story. Also, like worst game crunch ever. Yeah, I mean, no kidding. Yeah, like hey, pick you your don't get to leave. Yeah, he really wanted his name as the only one responsible for those cutscenes. So. Like that's that's just crazy. He did those completely on his own. He's just like everyone asleep. I'm using all your computers to to do the rest of my work. So wow, that is insane. I mean, that's like bittersweet. It's like oh, these cutscenes are good. Oh my goodness, I'm just like <laughs> poor guy. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so sad. And, and with that, um, Ryan, you feeling good about this episode? Like, I mean, I, I, I gotta good. close it off asking with you, man. I feel good. I think you guys have tackled two. You've you've now played two of the three what I consider essential Silent Hill games. So we have one more before I'll get off your back about Silent Hill. How about that? <laughs> Deal. Do it. I can do I it. can agree to these terms. Definitely. And everybody, like we are getting ready for next year because one of the best and worst things about a podcast like this is that we're always thinking of like what to play or watch next. And I think that, you know, this year we talked about the Spider-Man trilogy, which is interesting because now with all the rumors lingering, I'm like, oh man, we ch- we chose a good time to talk about some Spider-Man movies and maybe we talk about some more down the line. And uh, we've done Terminator, but then we have Silent Hill is growing. We have the Resident Evil library growing in terms of episodes. So if there's any trilogy or sequels of games or movies that you think will be really fun for us to uh, review sporadically or something like that, uh, once again, that is a cast to the past.com slash discord, or you can reach us out on social media, a cast to the past on Twitter and Facebook. And with that being said, this has been another wonderful. This is the real world. This ain't no dark world. No, no. You don't want to go to my nightmare world. Let me tell you. <laughs> I mean, your background, I'm just going to say, like in the video version, it's like your background is like all red right now. So I think you're not in the real world, Keith. Ooh, now we're oh, no. spooky. Keith turned, Keith turned his, his lights off. He's like John Cena now. I can't see him. So anyway, this has been an episode of a cast. <laughs> to the past spooky world. Speaking of John Cena, he got married. Oh, yeah. he did. Yeah. Congratulations. Yeah. You go to the wedding, Ryan? <laughs> 
our congratulations go out to you, John yes. Cena. <laughs> we love you, Cena. Hey, anybody getting... That's a happy day in his life, hopefully. So congratulations <laughs> are in order. Two best things in life, Pug Henry and people getting married. <laughs> <laughs>